Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Amen. I also want to just thank you again for your obedience with your tithes and your offerings. And uh, how many of you know you can never outgive God? Amen. God always provides, and so thank you for that. There are envelopes in the pew backs in front or out at the Welcome Center, and by the offering boxes, you can put cash or check, make it payable to Painesville Assembly of God, or we also have online uh, giving available as well through our website, PainesvilleAG.com. Click the Give link, or you can give through our app uh, as well, the Church Center app, and uh, you can do a text-to-give option as well. Let's pray and invite the Lord to be with us as we get into his word. Father, thank you so much for all that you do in our lives, and uh, God, the way you continue to work. We just pray your blessing, Father, uh, over this offering and now over your word. Uh, Just speak to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, today we're going to jump back in uh, to a series that we began last week called Spiritual Fitness. Spiritual Fitness. We unpack the importance of training for godliness. Training for godliness. And our base text for this is 1 Timothy chapter 4, 7 and 8. So let me just go there for a moment just to kind of provide you with the foundation of this series. And Paul writes this to his son in the faith, Timothy. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training has some, is of some value, uh, godliness is of value in every way as it holds to the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So while, while Paul is acknowledging that we ought to train physically, and as we turn a new year, hopefully if you set out a goal to get healthier this year and get back to the gym, uh, hopefully by this time, uh, we're the 15th in, you haven't already fallen off the wagon. If you have, there's still time to get back into it. While bodily training, uh, training physically is important, it helps in the present life, Paul tells us there's something is better, and that is training for godliness. How many of you believe that there is something important about training our soul? Training our soul. Training for godliness. The word train comes from the Greek word gymnazo. It's where we get our modern word gymnasium from. And, uh, and so as followers of Jesus, we're encouraged to train for godliness. And I shared last week a quote from a book that I've been in uh, and I've read before and just kind of reviewing again and going back through it because it's just so good. It's called The Celebration of Discipline. The author is Richard Foster. And he writes this, God has given us the disciplines of the spiritual life as a means of receiving his grace. So we know that we're saved by grace and we know that there is no work that we can do that earns God's favor or his grace, all right? That's, that's something we can't earn. It's a gift. However, to receive that grace, we need to put ourselves in a position to be able to do that. And it's the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines or habits that we see in God's word. That is the rhythms, these things we ought to practice, practice rhythms, habits, those kinds of things that put us in a position where we can receive God's grace. The disciplines allow us, he writes, to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. How many want to be more transformed in the image of Jesus this year? Yeah. Boy, not enough hands. Man, oh man, I'm concerned. I'm concerned. (laughs) 
Oh, to, if we want to be transformed, then we have to develop the right habits so that we can receive God's grace and be transformed by God's grace. So I want to unpack the important discipline today of developing a prayer habit. Developing a prayer habit or the habit of prayer. How many know habits are important? How many say habits are important? In a sense, you are your habits. You're those things that you do repeatedly. Now, can I be transparent with you for a moment? Tell on myself a little bit. I'm a creature of habit. I really am. I'm, I'm a creature of habit. So much so that our, our family has a little dog. His name is Tucker. And um, I have such a habit of going to bed at the same time uh, every night that my dog knows my routine. He knows that when I start to get ready and I go over and place the last dishes from the day in the dishwasher and get it set and wash whatever can't go in the dishwasher and start to get the coffee pot set as I do every night before bed, he knows it's time for bed and he sleeps at night in a little kennel. And so, so this is what he does. Before he goes in his kennel every night, he gets a treat. So when he starts seeing me go over and get the dishes in the dishwasher and get ready and make the coffee so it's ready in the morning and, and start to brew when I get up, he goes over and waits in his bed for me to come. And it happens that if I don't, at about the time when I usually go to bed, if I'm not moving, he goes over to his bed. And then he peeks out like, are you coming yet? It's about that time. That's pretty bad. We are all creatures of habit. Before you came here today, you probably got up and you have a morning routine that you do. In the morning, there is probably something that is your morning routine. And when something throws that off, how many would agree your whole day is off? Why? Because of habits. Habits are those things that get ingrained in us because we practice them so regularly that they become a part of who we are. And in fact, I would go so far as to say that if you want to change your life, it begins by changing your habits. Pastor and evangelist Rich Wilkerson Jr., I heard this quote from him, what I do daily becomes what I do permanently. What I do daily becomes what I do permanently. God loves us enough that he invites us into a lifestyle of practices in habits that take us into his presence or put us in position of his word that he can transform us to become like him. And when these habits are built into our lives, they lead to spiritual vitality. So today I want to talk about a prayer habit, developing a prayer habit, why it is so important. Now, how many know that prayer, you might say, well, what is prayer? You might say, well, pastor, prayer is simply talking to God, isn't it? It's just simply talking to God, right? And while we might agree that prayer is simple, when it comes to, when you're, when you're thinking about prayer, prayer is simple in nature, but how many of you have found that it's difficult in practice? It's simple in nature, but it's difficult in practice. F.B. Meyer, the author of a great little book called The Secret of Guidance, he said this, the great tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. Ouch. Instead of something we do every day, like eating and sleeping and talking and walking, 
Prayer becomes something like that little glass box with that little red lever that says break in case of emergency. You know what I'm talking about? It seems that in our lives, rather than prayer being a habit in our lives, it becomes something that we only do when we're facing a crisis. Kind of like the story I heard of a a guy who took his plane out and, and he was flying and all of a sudden began to have some trouble. And so he called the control tower and said, pilot the tower, I'm about 300 miles out from the airport and 600 feet above the ground and I'm out of fuel. I'm descending rapidly, please advise, over. And this is what he heard back, tower to pilot, the dispatcher began. Repeat after me, our Father who art in heaven. (laughs) For some of us, the only time, if we're honest, that we pray is when we're in a crisis. But I'm going to tell you that although crisis prayer is something that we that we ought to do, that the very foundation of prayer, and I'm going to talk about it in a moment, began when men begin to call out to God, when they begin to call in the name of the Lord, and where God wants us to cry out in a crisis. For those of us that are believers, crisis prayer is not the only time we ought to pray. That the Bible shares with us that we ought to have a discipline, a prayer habit, develop a prayer habit in our lives. In his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, Jim Symbol, a former pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, points out before Christ, before David, before even Moses uh, organized a formal worship system with the tabernacle, there was prayer. He points to Genesis 4, 25 through 26, which records that Adam lay with his wife again. She gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me again a child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Since Seth had had a son, and he named him Enosh, and here it is, at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. What was significant about that? Before there was any preachers that were ordained, before there was any, any time in, in which there was a, 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 any time that, 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 that there was a, a, a church service that was formed, godly men and women they, they, they differentiated themselves from everybody else because they called on the name of the Lord. Seth and, and Enosh and those that follow call on the name of the Lord while Cain and his descendants began to go their own way. What distinguishes us as a people of God is that we are a people of prayer. We are a people that call on the name of our God. To call on the name of the Lord means to implore aid. In essence, it's it's a prayer that touches the very heart of God. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, once said, The best style of prayer is not that which can be called, or excuse me, is that which cannot be called anything else but a cry. But a cry. That That I cry out to God. Jeremiah 33.3 encourages this, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and unsearchable things you do not know. In fact, in the time of, of Moses, when Moses came down from Sinai, calling on God became an earmark of the nation of Israel. In his farewell address, Moses makes this statement in Deuteronomy 4.7, what other nation is so great? As to have their gods so near them, the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him. 
You see, what distinguished the nation of Israel from all the other nations, they could do all kinds of rants and chants, like, like when Elijah was on the hill with the prophets of Baal and Asherah. And all. They could do all their incantations and all their things. Oh, but it didn't matter because God was mighty. Because God was mighty. In fact, that's what distinguished the, the people of, of Israel from every other nation. From every other nation. They might have had horses and chariots. They might have had mighty armies. But when Israel called on the name of the Lord, miracles happened. Breakthrough happened. Victory happened. There is something powerful about prayer. So I want to give you five reasons today why it's important to develop a prayer habit. Number one, a prayer habit is modeled by Jesus. Luke chapter 11, we're going to spend some time there. So if you want to join us in God's word, if you brought your copy today, we're going to spend some time in Luke chapter 1. We'll jump around a bit, but this will be the main text today. Luke chapter 11 and verse 1 begins like this. And Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Notice the text opens that when Jesus was praying in a certain place, he was modeling prayer. His disciples had watched him. They had seen him. We're going to see this throughout. They had watched it. And one of his disciples was watching him model prayer. And it impacted him so much that he, he came and he said, Jesus, teach us to pray. He didn't say, teach us, Jesus, teach us to preach. He didn't say, Jesus, teach us how to do miracles. He said, Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. That's what Jesus did. Jesus modeled prayer. This was not just a, a one-time occurrence for Jesus. Let's just stay in the book of Luke. Not, not just jump around to the other gospels. Just in the book of Luke. If we back up for a moment, we see that in Luke chapter 3 and verse 21, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, it says, heaven was opened. If you want to see heaven opened, begins with prayer. It begins with prayer. Luke 6, 12. One of those days, Jesus went up on the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Luke 9, 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private, his disciples who were with him, his disciples were with him. He was modeling prayer to them. They were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? In Luke 9, 29. Now it came to pass about eight days after these things that he took Peter and John and James and he went up on the mountain to have a party. Oh, wait a minute. That's not what it says. I was just seeing if you were paying attention. He went up on the mountain to do a miracle. No, it didn't say that. He went up on the mountain to what? To pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white. In glistening verse by verse by verse by verse by verse, Jesus modeled the habit of prayer. And if Jesus, the Son of God, who came, emptied himself of, 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 of his deity, came in human form, valued and understood that in order to be victorious in this life, you need to develop a habit of communing with the Father, how much more should we? How much more should we? Not only did did, did Jesus model up a, a, a habit of prayer? But a prayer habit was also taught by Jesus. So when one of the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, Jesus didn't say, nah, you don't need that. Oh, come on, you ought to know that by now, right? It's simple. You just got to talk to him. Again, how many of you know? 
that prayer is simple in nature but difficult in practice. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus begins to teach them how to pray by giving them a pattern for prayer. A pattern for prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer, and oftentimes we memorize it and recite it. And while that is good, and there's nothing wrong with that, this was also to be more of a map or a model or a pattern of how you and I ought to pray. Why? Because prayer is simple in nature but difficult to practice. So sometimes you need to have a guide or a pattern to follow. So Jesus, in teaching his disciples how to pray, begins to give them this pattern. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us ourselves for we ourselves forgive, excuse me, forgive our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. In response to this, he gives them a pattern. And where does the pattern begin? I'm going to give you a word that starts with the letter A, adoration. It begins with adoration. When you pray, begin like this, Father, hallowed be your name. Now, how many of you know what hallowed means? Hallowed, what does hallowed mean? Hallowed means holy. It means sacred. It's about the very character and nature of God, that God is holy. It's acknowledging that God is holy. It is acknowledging that God is sacred. Holy simply means set apart, that God is not like you and I. He's not like you and I. He's holy. He's holy. He's sacred. He's ultimately supreme. If we make, uh, make the, we, we, it, it is what we make the most crucial or supreme aim of our life. So you begin by saying, holy is your name. Holy is your name. I begin with adoration. I begin with worship. I begin with worship. There there is something about recognizing the holiness of God in prayer because too often we treat God as common and we simply rush in demanding of our own needs as if God is a a genie in a bottle or or God's a, uh, you know, he's like a pop machine. You, You put in your dollar bills or your coins so you can get out when you push the buttons what you want. So if I push the right buttons, I'm supposed to get out what I want. No. God is not common. God is holy. Now, let me back up a moment. Because he didn't say start out with hallowed be your name. What did he start out with? Father. Father. Father is an intimate term. It's an intimate term. It's a, it's a child who, who calls out Father. There's an intimacy, there's a relational part of this, an intimate part of this in prayer. So that while God is holy and sacred, he is also relational and intimate. Father, holy is your name. Father, holy. Now, when my kids were were smaller, they don't do this anymore. When they were were little, and and, and we'd be here at church, and and they'd come up to me, and they wouldn't do it just here at church, but I just, for the illustration's sake, when they were here at church, because it happened here a lot, they would run up to me, and and daddy, daddy, and they'd lift up their arms, and they want me to pick them up, and and I'd pick them up, and I'd be holding them, and I've been in conversation with different people. You know, people come up, and they talk to me. But when my kids wanted my attention, when they were little, they would grab my my face with their hands and they would pull my face towards them so that I was looking them right in the eye. And you know what? I didn't resist. In fact, I loved it. You know why? Because I was their father. 
a father who loves my kids. Can I tell you something about prayer? God longs for you to come into his presence and to take a hold of his face and turn and say, oh, God. See, prayer is turning God's attention towards you, turning your attention towards God, where you begin to gaze into the glory of an almighty, holy, sacred God who invites you intimately and relationally to commune with him. Now, you may have had a negative experience with your father, so this is hard. Maybe your father wasn't. But you see, later on in the book of Luke, right in this section in Luke chapter 11, Jesus begins to tell them, listen, your father invites you to pray, and your father is not like you. And and this is what he says to them. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, and I love this, you might want to underline it, how much more, how much more, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God, you're so good. Is it just something we sing, or is it something we believe? Is it something we sing, or something we believe? You see, when he's talking about you who are evil, you're like, I'm not evil. You know what? We have a sinful nature. If we who have a sinful nature, when our children ask us for something, if they're hungry and they say, oh, daddy, I'm I'm hungry. Will you give me a fish? We don't look at them and go, ah, I'm going to get you. Here's a snake. Here's a scorpion. (laughs) Who does that? And if we wouldn't do that, how much more would God He gives us what we need. It's acknowledging who God is, that he is relational and formal, natural and supernatural, imminent and transcendent. Come on, somebody. Prayer must begin by recognizing and approaching and treating God with the adoration and the respect and the worship as a father and as a holy and sacred God. Begins with adoration. And as you begin with adoration, then you turn to the next A, which is alignment. Alignment. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, not my will. Because far too often when it comes to prayer, you and I are more concerned about getting our will be done rather than aligning our hearts with God's will be done. Oops. Right? Prayer is about alignment. It's recognizing who God is, and it's saying, God, I trust you. God, I, I trust you. I, I recognize that your direction is best. I recognize that your will is best, and allow me to align my heart with your heart. Oswald Chambers wrote this. It's not so true that prayer changes things. As that prayer changes me, then I change things. And he further says this, prayer alters a man on the inside, alters his mind and his attitude of things. Prayer isn't about changing God's mind. Prayer is about getting into God's presence and allowing God to change our heart and our mind to be in alignment with his. In alignment with his. And then when we get that right, our Father who art in heaven, we, we, we adore you. God, align our hearts with yours. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom first. We seek your kingdom first. All these other things we know that you'll add to. We, we start with adoration. We move to alignment. And then at that point, we can begin to say, God, here are my needs. Give me this day my daily bread. 
God, here are my needs. And God knows what you need even before you ask him. So why do you need to ask him? Because by asking him, by, by, by coming into his presence and asking him, you're saying, God, I trust you and I know that in myself, I'm insufficient to meet my need. I need you to meet my needs. I need you daily to meet my needs. Next, he moves to forgiveness, both of our own sin and for God to help us to forgive others in the same way we've been forgiven. Forgiveness is an important element of prayer because I'm going to be honest with you, and this might unlock some doors for some of you, that oftentimes, or, or not often, sometimes our prayers are not answered because we struggle with unforgiveness. Or we have sin in our lives to which we haven't come and confessed those sins to God and allow him to cleanse us. And so sin has become a barrier to God answering prayer. Well, pastor, is that biblical? I don't know. Ask Isaiah. He said this, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Oh, that's Old Testament. Okay. Maybe Jesus will convince you. Mark chapter eleven twenty five. 25, and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive, so also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Jesus links answered prayer with forgiveness. Both of our own sin, consecrate yourself, confess your sins, he's faithful and just, and will forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Why don't we come to God and confess our sin? Why don't we come to God and acknowledge the sin that we have in our lives? I'm going to spell it for you. P-R-I-D-E. Pride. Pride. I'm good enough. I don't need forgiveness. What have I done? I'm better than that person over there. Okay, keep having that attitude and watch heaven close. Forgiveness is important because it, it breaks the power of resentment, retaliation, and bitterness that can dominate our heart. When you don't forgive, you let the devil get a foothold in your life. You let the devil get a foothold in your life. And it opens you up to things that become a bondage to you. That's why next Jesus teaches us to pray for protection and strength. To resist or not even enter temptation. Deliver me. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. Lead me not into temptation. I, I don't know if you realize this, but there's an example of this right in Scripture. Peter didn't understand it. Satan had had asked to sift him like wheat. Jesus is about ready to go to the cross, and he's there spending time with Peter, and he says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Peter in pride, not me, Lord, I'll never deny you. Not me, that's not me, I'm not gonna happen. Oh, Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. I prayed for you, I prayed for you, I prayed for you. So where do they go? They go to the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And Jesus says to them, will you pray with me? And he goes off and he begins to pray and he's agonizing, literally sweating drops of blood and agonizing in prayer. And he gets up and he goes back to where the disciples are. And what does he find them doing? Right? And what does he say? Why are you sleeping? He asks them, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. 
Listen, a key to not falling into temptation, a key of not giving in when temptation comes, and temptation comes, friends. We live in this world. Temptation comes. The key to that is being in prayer. It's having a prayer-filled life because a prayer-filled life leads to a spirit-filled life that gives you the power to do what your willpower cannot do on its own. You've got the power of God in your life, and you need to come into agreement with God through prayer and allow God to strengthen your inner man so that when temptation Temptation comes a calling. You've got an inner strength inside of you that says, no, 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 I'm not falling for that. I'm not taking the bait. I'm not falling for that. And then the pattern of prayer of Jesus' teaching closes by acknowledging God's kingdom and his power and glory. So we begin with adoration by recognizing who God is, and then you close your prayer by remembering whose kingdom is first, whose power we need, and whose glory we seek. Ooh, that's good, somebody. That's good. You might not. I'm going to pat myself. Amen. Good word, pastor. You close by remembering whose kingdom is first. Is it your kingdom or God's kingdom? Whose kingdom do you want to come? God, your kingdom come. Who, whose power do you need? God's power, your kingdom, your power. Whose glory do you seek? Your glory. All oh, but developing a habit is not easy, is it? It's not easy. It takes this little thing called persistence. And that's the next habit. A prayer habit takes persistence. So Jesus continues on in his teaching. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me. I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Quit bothering me. Jesus says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. I think we need a little shameless audacity in our prayers. I got a couple amens. We need a little shameless audacity. We need a little persistence. We need a little bit of, 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 of God, I'm not going to ask you once. And I'm not going to ask you twice. I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask, and I'm going to keep on asking. I'm going to seek, and I'm going to keep on seeking. I'm going to knock, and I'm going to keep on knocking. Because you said in your word, ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be open. That's what your word says. So you know what? I'm going to keep on doing it until you do what I'm, what, what, what I'm praying, what I'm asking you to do. It takes persistence in prayer. There is a persistence to develop a habit of prayer. A persistence in prayer does something to strengthen our faith, to internalize a burden that God is wanting to give us, to press us deeper into intimacy with the Lord. The goal of prayer, again, is not to conform God's will to ours, but to persist and persist and persist until our will gets conformed to His. There's a persistence that is needed in prayer. A persistence that is needed. Why? Well, let me give you the next two reasons to develop a prayer habit. We need a persistence in prayer because a prayer habit opens our spiritual eyes. Opens our spiritual eyes. How many know that, that we, 
we have a, a world in which there is a natural world, but Scripture tells us there's also an unseen spiritual world. There is a spiritual realm. And there is a battle spiritually that is going on for your soul and the soul of every person in this world. There is a cosmic battle that has been going on since before you and I were ever even born, ever even a thought. There has been a spiritual cosmic battle that has been going on beyond time. And you and I in this moment have entered in as we are in this world. We've entered in and there is a spiritual battle in a spiritual, uh, spiritual realm that we do not see. And prayer enables us to get in touch with God and in so doing opens up our eyes so that we stop trying to fix things naturally when really the only real answer is spiritually. There are some things naturally you've been arguing and battling against. You've been fighting against in the natural. You have these arguments and you have these physical battles that are going on. And what you're not realizing is, is that the battle is not so much physical as much as it is spiritual. And we need our eyes open. Developing a prayer habit opens our spiritual eyes. In 2 Kings chapter 6, an enemy army had surrounded the city and the house of the prophet Elisha. Why? Well, because this enemy army was trying to trick Israel. They were trying to set traps for them. And while they're in their little war room tent trying to make their plans to, 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 to thwart Israel and to trap Israel and Israel's king, Elisha's in prayer, the prophet, and he gets a vision and a dream, and he's literally like he's transported into their little war room, and he's seeing their plans. And so every time he sees their plans, he tells the king of Israel, hey, uh, they're, they're setting a trap for you. And so Israel then doesn't do what Israel was going to do, and they don't enter in, and they don't get trapped by the enemy. And the enemy thinks there's a spy, and so the king says, hey, 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 who's telling Israel, well, we have a spy in the camp? And somebody says, no, we don't have a spy in the camp. It's the prophet Elijah. They have a prophet. And that prophet Elisha there, Elisha, not Elijah, Elisha, that prophet is telling the king of Israel what we're saying in this room. Oh, see, see the power of prayer? You see what prayer has the, ha, ha, has the power to do to frustrate the plans of the enemy? <laughs> but it doesn't mean the enemy won't stop attacking. It doesn't mean he won't stop attacking. So he shows up with his army and he's surrounding the house of, uh, of Elisha the prophet. And, and Elisha's servant is freaking out. Like he is freaking out. Like what are we going to do? Like oh my God, what's going to happen? It says this, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning, he went out and behold, ha <laughs> The army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, don't be afraid. Oh, what do you mean don't be afraid? Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Let me just pause for a moment. On the sermon, I'm going, Elisha, you're nuts. It's like, it's like you and me, buddy. You and me. Have you stepped outside? Have, have you seen that? It's just you and me, buddy. And Elisha's like, oh, man, you can't see what I see. You can't see what I see. You, you're seeing with natural eyes. You're seeing with natural eyes. And your natural eyes are telling you, we don't have a chance. Your natural eyes are telling you, oh boy, we're in trouble. Oh, but let me show you something. Let me pray. Let me pray. And he says this. <laughs> he said, do not be afraid. Those who are with us are more than with them. Then Elisha, look at this, prayed and said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. 
So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around. Lord, open our eyes. Lord, open our eyes. When we hear the reports on the news, when we take a look and we see what's happening in our nation, what's happening in our world, or when you start to see what's happening in your family, you start to see things that are happening in your family, oh, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up, persistent prayer, Lord, open our eyes, Lord, open our eyes, open our eyes, open our, open our eyes to see where you're working that we do not see. Remind us of your power that we, we don't see right now. We think we're overwhelmed. We think it's endless. We think it's hopeless. We think we can't do it. It's, it's over. It's impossible. Oh, friends, nothing is impossible with God. Lord, open our eyes. Lord, open our eyes. Open our eyes. Speak to us. Answer us. Show us. And, and, and you see, a prayer habit leads to breakthroughs, open doors, and miracles. It, it leads to breakthrough. It leads to, to open doors. It, it leads to miracles. Ask, and ye shall receive. Seek, and ye shall knock, and the door will be opened. Again, prayer is a spiritual battle. And if you want to get victory, you have to fight spiritually. For our struggle, verse 12, Ephesians 6, 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil. Where? In the heavenly realm. So Paul is saying, listen, we got to take our stand against the schemes of the enemy. The enemy is attacking, but here's what you do. Put on the full armor of God. Here's what you do. Recognize the struggle is not natural. It's not against flesh and blood. There is a spiritual battle that is going on, and you can't fight a spiritual battle in natural ways. You have to fight a spiritual battle spiritually. You've got to develop a prayer habit. You've got to get down on your knees. And you've got to begin to seek the Lord. And every day you've got to begin to pray in that God would begin to break the power and the hold of the enemy. That God would break strongholds. And that God would do miracles once again. He gives the armor of God, but then Paul closes like this. Verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Prayer is powerful. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty to save to the pulling down of strongholds. Prayer is powerful. And until we get it, until we get it, until we get that the battles that we're facing and the breakthroughs that we need are not going to come by natural means or human wisdom, we will never see the breakthrough or the miracle we need. We've got to understand the power that comes when we have a habit of praying and coming into God's presence. When we have a habit of intercession. Prayer is a weapon in the battle against the enemy, and it's mighty to the tearing down of strongholds. Developing a habit of prayer is critical for the believer to walk in intimacy with Jesus and to walk in the power of God. And often we miss out on this blessing and treasure because we don't take time to develop a habit of prayer. We make excuses. God, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. Oswald Chambers puts it in perspective. He says, remember, no one has time to pray. We have to make time from, uh, we have to take time from other things that are valuable 
in order to understand how necessary prayer is. We need to prioritize prayer in our personal lives and recognize that power comes when we develop a prayer habit. Worship team, will you come? And as they come, let me just hit a couple, just, just real quick, a couple things. Abraham understood the power of prayer. In Genesis 18, 22, when, when, when Abraham learned about the impending destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, he remained standing before the Lord rather than run and warn the people of those cities or his nephew Lot. He recognized that rather than him going and warning, standing in the power of prayer was much more effective. Standing in the power of prayer was much more effective. Nehemiah understood the power of prayer. And Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 4, it tells us that there was uh, an advisor, someone who had come, a relative of Nehemiah's from Jerusalem to tell him that the walls were torn down and the city was in ruins. But rather than just run out and start to lay stones and start to build a foundation, Nehemiah began with a foundation of prayer before he ever, laid, uh, before he ever laid a foundation of stone. Esther understood the power of prayer. Before Esther petitioned King Xerxes to help save the Israelites from the impending destruction of the, uh, of the king's closest advisor, Haman, she called the people to fast and pray. To fast and pray. Before she petitioned the king, she recognized the importance of fasting and prayer. Before you step out in your own strength, in your own power, in your own natural wisdom, you got to begin with prayer. You got to begin with prayer. Before you set out to have an argument with someone, because you see in their life something that's wrong, you better begin on your knees. You better lay a foundation of prayer and recognize that the battle is spiritual and not natural. The battle is spiritual and not natural. God is calling his people to develop a habit of prayer, to develop a prayer habit in their lives. There's a reason the church is anemic today and that we don't see the signs and the wonders. There's, an, a, there's a reason why we haven't encountered and we haven't experienced the revival as in days of old. And I'm going to tell you something. It's not because there's something wrong with the pastor or there's something wrong with the worship team. Or there's something, there's something wrong, uh, you know, or, or there's something wrong with the programming. The problem is there's something wrong with a church that won't prioritize a habit of prayer. The problem is something when God's people, believers who have been believers, who have been saved for years and years and years, who talk more about prayer than practice prayer. When you talk more about prayer than practice prayer, then we don't see the things that we need to see that God wants to do, and we lack a burden for the world around us, and we spend more time complaining to others about what's wrong with our world than we spend time talking to God about it. God is wanting some people that are going to talk to him. I think we need to spend some time talking to Jesus. Talking to Jesus. Talking to Jesus. We need to begin to spend some time talking to Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Come on. Jesus, we just want to talk to you. 
We just want to talk to you. Lord, we need you. (laughs) Oh, God, we need you. Lord, there are some people here that need breakthrough in their lives. There are some people here that have been struggling. Some that have been struggling with depression and grief. Some, Father, that are that are facing uphill battles, some God that have been, that, that are believing for family members that they see living lives and walking lives that, that, are, that are leading to destruction. God, they're worried about it. Some are concerned about their jobs. Some are concerned about their marriages. <laughs> oh God, some are concerned about their health. There are some, some major health things that are happening. In all of it, Jesus, you are the answer. So Jesus, we talk to you. We talk to you. God, we need you. We need you in, to, to, to do miracles in health. We need you to heal people today. We need you to bring healing in lives. Jesus, we, we need you today to, to, to reconcile marriages. We need you today to save those, God, who have walked away, the prodigal children, God, who have walked away from you, that once knew you and need to come back to you. <laughs> Jesus, we need you to deliver from, 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 from depression today. We need you to lift depression in Jesus' name. We need you, Lord, to lift depression in Jesus' name. Father, we need you right now to break addiction in Jesus' name. To break addiction in Jesus' name. Today, God, break addiction in Jesus' name. Set people free in Jesus' name. Father, we need you right now, God, to restore relationships and and friendships and marriages. God, we need you today. We need you today, Jesus, to do what we cannot. We need you today, Jesus. It seems impossible, but you're a mountain-moving God. There is nothing impossible for you. You are the same God yesterday, today, forever. You're the same God. You're the same God. And we ask you, oh God, to do it again, to do it again, to do it again. To do it again. Holy, holy, holy is your name. Holy is your name. Do it again, oh God. Do it again, oh God. Come on, will you stand? And if you need prayer today, will you come? And the worship team is going to come. If you need prayer, if you need salvation, if you need healing, if you need prayer in your marriage, if you need a breakthrough, if you need depression lifted, if you need healing in your body, will you come and let us pray for you today? Come on, let's pray. Let's seek the face of the Lord today. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.